Welcome to the podcast. My name is Ian. And my name is Tony, and this is Tennis Today. So, Tony, um, we decided, you know, we talked about this maybe being like a weekly podcast, but I feel like with Australian Open and how much is happening every single day, I mean, we've been, you know, texting since putting the other episode out here. There's just so much to talk about every day and not even just the matches There's stuff happening off court as well. You know, we talked uh, a little bit about Breakpoint in the first episode and wanted to get into a bit of that today, but we just couldn't help ourselves. And we had to hop back on one more time. We got back to it pretty quick. And uh, (laughs) I mean, yeah, stay tuned. I feel like updates from the tournament are going to be plentiful. Yeah. Yeah. I love um, so a few other podcasts that I listen to, and I really appreciate the daily breakdowns, and we probably won't be as repetitive as that, but uh, there's just so much going on right now. Uh, wanted to hop on, talk about some of the results from the first round, uh, touch on Breakpoint a little bit, like we mentioned in the last one, um, but I realized, too, you know, we didn't really get a chance to introduce ourselves because we just really dove right into it feet first. Uh, so wanted to give our listeners for those, you know, I feel like most people are probably connecting to us through our Instagram accounts, but did want to go a little bit into ourselves and intro. So people know a little bit about our background. So you want to start? Yeah. And actually, I mean, I'm sure at least initially you probably found this podcast through our Instagram, but I think you and I are kind of similar on our Instagrams to where at least for the most part, we're kind of anonymous. I don't post anything really about my life. I, you know, kind of just do updates with news. And uh, I think kind of the same for you. Uh, this is probably the first time anyone's going to be able to, you know, be like, oh, that's that his name's Ian. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so obviously, my name's Tony, I run balanced tennis. Um, I picked up tennis at 12 years old. It was something that was never, I was never interested in. Even when I first tried it, I was pretty against it. My, uh, it was just something that my dad, uh, who I would spend my week, my weekends with was like, all right, you know, let's, let's try this thing. I signed you up for a city class and I thought I was a skater, uh, really more <laughs> of a poser, but anyways, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. Just my dad wants me to do this, so I'll do it. And, um, yeah, I kind of, picked it up from there. And, uh, you know, there's a whole deep down story. I don't know if this is the time and place for it, but, um, yeah, like I, I kind of fell in love with the game and have never looked back since I, uh, you know, played high school, junior college, uh, started coaching while I was in junior college and, uh, you know, still continue to do it today. This is, I'm lucky enough to be a full-time tennis coach. That's pretty much all I do. Um, USPTA certified elite. And uh, yeah, I teach at a club here in Newport Beach. I get to live in Newport Beach. Basically, everything in my life is surrounded by tennis, like in my real life, teaching tennis and on my online life, I guess if you want to call that running balanced tennis, which started kind of as just something for fun during the pandemic. And uh, yeah, here I am now. Now it's a full on page that's taken a life of its own. I've been able to get credentials uh, to tournaments and talk to players and, uh, you know, get to meet people like you who under (laughs) other circumstances, I would say, 
this probably we would have never gotten to know each other, never connected. And uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool thing. So my life uh, pretty much is tennis 24 seven. Yeah, I can totally relate, obviously. Uh, I've been playing tennis probably since about the same time. I maybe picked it up when I was like 10 or 11. I lived in Canada for a little bit and we had a tennis club around the corner and I have, you know, I have all these pictures of my my dad and I playing tennis when I was like three years old, and just holding this, you know, uh, massive Wilson Pro staff that's as tall as me. And um, I didn't play tennis at all between when I was that young and ten, eleven. But when we lived in Canada, we had a club there and got into it, and it was one of the first sports for me where it just kind of clicked, and I, I felt really good about it. I mean, I've been playing since then, um, which is a long time, and I. I always working at my game. I'm not a great tennis player. Just got my ass kicked today, for instance. Uh, and moving to California was a really rude awakening too. I grew up on the East coast and you could only play tennis for so many months out of the year. So I feel like it was a summer thing for me. And uh, I was better than a lot of my friends that I played with. But again, we're only playing three, four months out of the entire year. Moved to California, totally rude awakening. Everybody could play year round. Everybody knew how to play tennis. Um, and it's really helped me with my game. And, uh, one things that I, one of the things that I learned when I moved out here was, well, Hey, it's sun, sunny and, and warm every single day and you don't have a wardrobe for it. So I started to shop for tennis clothes for myself and I, I don't have, I don't make a lot of money and uh, especially moving to LA, I was really budget conscious about that. And I was like, well, I can't afford these hundred dollar polos and stuff like that. And I also didn't like any of it. I hated the majority of what I saw out there. I was like, this is all trash. I wouldn't wear any of this. Uh, where's all the good tennis clothes? Where's the stuff that I would also wear off the court? Because I need a shirt. If I'm going to spend the money, I need a pair of shorts or a shirt that I could wear, you know, on and off the court. And that's how I started uh, 40 love tennis, which is where some of you might know me from. And, um, I just started it for myself. I just was posting all these old pictures, uh, archival images of, you know, Bjorn Borg and all these stylish tennis players from the golden eras as in, you know, inspiration for me to put together what I wanted my outfits to look like. And, uh, it just opened up a whole new world for me. And obviously I've been introduced to you and been introduced to so many people in Southern California. The, the tennis scene here is just building out so much. Um, and we've all been connected through this amazing family of, of tennis people. And, um, my account is, kind of taken on a new form. I mean, I, I do still talk about a lot of that stuff and, and, and it all interests me talking about the apparel and I have some, some friends and connections and different brands, but the tour talk and all the commentary that you and I have been doing is what we've realized there's a really, you know, there's a gap for, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to bring the podcast on is um, there are, there are some really good podcasts out there. Uh, sometimes I wish that some of those podcasts dove into other issues and had more conversations or offered different perspectives and, um, you know, hoping that this, uh, this podcast can do that for people. And I hope that, you know, it kind of starts to take the shape that you and I both wanted to take. So, um, so yeah, that's yeah, us man. in a nutshell. Dang, that's that's interesting because actually that's something that I personally was like, yeah, well, you know, when did you start your account? Why'd you do it? Mm -hmm. And like, oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, I you know, I moved from you know, I was in Buffalo, New York, and in Philly, and you know, I had like those two pair of shorts that you get to wear for only some <laughs> some time <laughs> yeah. of the year, and then I moved out here. I'm like, well, I got nothing to wear. I gotta you know, and I want to look good. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah, that's that's how I got started with everything. 
but yeah, we we're starting the second episode here. Appreciate everybody that tuned into the first one. Um, if you can't tell, we're uh, still just totally winging it. We do have notes and stuff that we want to talk about. We had first round matches that were going on for the last two nights in real time while we were putting our first episode up, and um, some really really cool results. Uh, a lot of storylines, a lot of uh, some surprises, um, and we wanted to dive into just a couple of them and just kind of go down and uh, talk about them. So. Uh, Tony, any, uh, any of the matches of the last two nights that you really wanted to point out? Yes. Um, also worth noting, currently we are still technically in round one. It, they spread mm-hmm. out round one throughout three days. And uh, currently checking the, ma- the match schedule, there are matches being played. The first on, uh, there's basically only one completed match from today so far. But uh, just so you know, at the time of this recording, if later you hear this and you're like, oh, they didn't talk about Carlos, Um, Carlos hasn't played yet. Um, (laughs) But yeah, uh, wow, there was there was a lot where to start. Oh, God, you want to start happy or sad? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It doesn't matter. Was there one Um, match? Was there one match of the last two days that really left like a lasting impression on you or you felt like you got to? really kind of get under the hood for so um yeah i mean i we were probably doing the same thing multiple screens and just kind of you know keen in here and there but the one that i had on on my television last night was uh adrian manorino and stan warinka that one was the one that i was mainly kind of just keyed into um good match fun match uh i guess sort of a sad ish ending because just the way it ended for stan it, it didn't look like there was any type of injury or anything it just looked like he ran out of gas at the end there was uh there was a moment though in the fourth set where he was up a break early and uh Manorino who's usually pretty stoic on the court other than a few racket tosses here and there uh he looked pretty flustered and I was like oh okay well I guess this match is over but somehow found his way back into that set and then just ran away with the fifth set yeah, I was really surprised about that match. I mean, we talked about it in the first episode, and we knew that was going to be one to watch. It did not disappoint. It was really, really engaging. I thought the third set was fantastic. Stan rallying to go up 2-1 to one in the set score. Um, and Manorino is dealing with cramping, and you're like, okay, this is, yes. you know, if you're rooting for Stan... All the cards are on the table there. You really thought that he was going to run away with that one. Manorino took the... Uh, medical timeout came back still looked angry on the court he's sitting at the uh, on his uh, his bench there and he's he's holding up his water bottle and he's shouting at his team and he's slamming it down he's <laughs> yeah. basically seemed upset with himself that he was cramping and still somehow managed to pull that out and yeah poor poor Stan in that that last set just first serve percentage started to drop down a lot and just couldn't land anything in the court. It was clear that he was running out of gas and um, somebody actually had messaged me on, on Instagram about it and said that in his post game press conference that he had blamed his conditioning, that he was not able to get as much time on the court as he would usually like to, wasn't quite in the shape that he wanted to be in after the ankle injury that he was rehabbing. So um, I think that was, that was evident. You could, you can just tell on that fifth set, he just didn't have it anymore. Yeah, um, uh, stat Manorino twelve and four in five set matches. You don't really think of him as like a, a marathon wow. match player because he doesn't really ever look like he's exerting that much effort. I mean, he is trying; he's always giving his all, but just his style of play, he's kind of just you know effortless, basically. 
Um, uh, also, uh, side note in the post-match interview, you know, usually the last question is like, oh, you know, you have, uh, you know, so-and-so in the next round. And I didn't know this, but I guess this is a thing with Manorino. She said, I know you don't look ahead in the draw. So mm. when did you find out you were going to play against Stan? And he was like, uh, this morning. And that's wow. like, <laughs> that's that is crazy. interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. You would think, you know, being a player and playing at that level that you might adjust your game and your strategy a little bit based on who you're playing. I know um, I feel like all tennis players are just absolute perfectionists and drive themselves absolutely bonkers with that. But I feel like I would, I would look, I would want to know who I was playing. Maybe that goes into, you kind of look at the tape a little bit and say, Oh, they, you know, they like to uh, play baseline. I'm going to try to bring them into the net a little bit. Um, Yeah. that, That is pretty interesting. Yeah. That's, that's legit. Just the mentality of like, I'm going to do what I do and I don't care who's on the other side of the net. Like, and, <laughs> and we were singing his praises in episode one for how strange of a guy he is and how unique his game is. And there you go. There's just one more reason to, um, that he's a very unique individual on the tour. Mm-hmm. That's uh that was a wild one for me. And, uh, I think, uh, he's got Ben Shelton in round two, whether wow. he knows, yeah. whether he knows it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, He'll find out. It won't matter. Yeah, it sounds like it doesn't matter. He's not going to do anything differently. So, mm-hmm. uh, what uh, were you? Uh, what were you into last night? Yeah, well, I saw you wrote some pretty interesting notes down about the Vondrasova match with yet uh, uh, Yes Sorry, mm-hmm. um, I didn't get a chance to watch this one, but uh, headline upset. Obviously, the seven seed going into the tournament. Uh, Wimbledon champion uh, at, at the peak of her personal game. Um, what are some of the notes that you had here were pretty interesting. Did you get a chance to watch that one? No, I just kind of was just reading up on it. Obviously mm-hmm. I saw the headline two first top 10 loss of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it just, it seemed like, you know, she had some type of a shoulder thing, you know, she had strapping on her shoulder and her serve speed was way down from her normal average, uh, bunch of airs and uh Yastrzemska just seemed to be playing aggressive from what I read and saw it through basically yeah strong showing from some of the Ukrainians yesterday which is great to see so yes um another one that I had I caught uh, I was watching a few and just like you I you know I had ESPN plus going I had three or four different screens and I was toggling between them and my my girlfriend's like what are you doing you you can't even watch and I was like I can see I can see them just fine I'm reading the <laughs> scores to her and everything yeah uh I caught a lot of the Corda match because I I have a love affair with Sebi Corda I've just I, I was singing his praises at the uh, in in one of the first years he was on the tour and I thought that he was somebody that was poised to be the top 10 American. He just seems to have that it factor. He has the bloodline, it's in his family. Um you know, he's his sister's one of the best golfers in the entire world, obviously Peter, his dad. Um he's got the bloodline and he seemed to have the mentality. He's just, he's very stoic. You don't really see him get uh, too angry or too happy with anything that's going on. But one of the things that really bugged me about his game that I think started to hold him back in that match was he gets a little conservative and I don't think he has, um, he doesn't really go for the points. I think he sits back and plays defense a little bit. And you started to see that in this match. He played uh, Capriva and ended up going to a fifth set and he won. But he was down 0-2 in the fifth set. And I'm thinking to my head, here we go. 
you know, Sebi Korda, he's the 29th seed coming into this. I'm just waiting for that moment where he puts it all together and he goes on a run that lets him build some confidence. I know he's dealt with just such bad luck with injuries, but he is down 0-2 in the fifth. And I'm thinking, here we go again. He can't get through these easy matches. He, you know, kind of shoots himself in the foot. He started to just play a little conservative. Um, His serve doesn't, uh, it's not winning him a lot of matches. He, for the, his size, he probably should be hitting, uh, he should be a little stronger on the serve. But at 02, it's like he just turned it, he flipped a switch. He won 18 straight points from there. He went five straight games. I think there was three straight game. I have to do the math. There was like three straight games where he didn't <laughs> drop a point. Um, and it, he just looked lights out. And like, that's the Sebi Corda that I know is in there and what he should be doing with some of these lower ranked players. Um, so I'm hoping that he can put up a good run, happy to see that he got through and he ended up winning the final set six two. uh, thank goodness because people have been messaging me nonstop being like, why do you, what, what, what is it with this guy? Why do you see something in him? And I'm like, no, it's, it's gonna happen. Like one of these times he's gonna turn it on. He's gonna find his stride and get that confidence and uh, happy to see him pull through in the fifth. I don't know if you caught any of that one. Uh, just, just the end. I mean, it did, they had the, uh, I mean, it's not a fisheye lens, but it was on one of those courts where the perspective is up here. And it's just like, oh, I cannot put that on my I, Like, <laughs> I agree. It's bad. It's yeah. bad. You can't see where the ball is dropping on the court if it's on the other side. Yeah. It's it's rough. Um, but uh, no, I, I'm with you. I uh, I mean, if you just got to watch one or two court of matches, and I guess depending on when, because he had injuries last year, but you could see it. It's like, wow, mm-hmm. he has all of the talent. I mean, I think uh, a lot of people first saw it last year. He beat Medvedev at the AO. Or maybe yeah, that was his, be- his best result of last year, actually, was, was yep. AO. So, yeah. Yep. And I saw him uh, go up, I think, a set and a couple breaks on Rafa at Indian Wells two years ago. Um, great match. And, you know, just Rafa ended up kind of gritting it out and advancing. But, no, I'm I'm with you. He's one of those players that is just dangerous. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, kind of sucks that it took him five sets to get through because it's just going to be – a war of attrition of like, you know, mm-hmm. basically these, these hours on court add up, but, uh, Hey, it's better than a first round loss. Yeah. Yeah. Glad, glad he's still in it. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it was a good match. I mean, it was, it was fun to watch. So uh, again, glad, glad he came through, but, um, yeah. Any other, uh, any other matches you had here you uh, want to talk about? Going to corrections and retractions. Manorino has Jaime Munar next possible Ben Shelton in the third round. Ah, uh, okay. Just to correct myself. Um, but, uh, yeah, Andy Murray, uh, sticking on the sad, I guess, uh, that was, I mean, the way it started where it's like, uh, got broken immediately, I think maybe at love or 1540 or something like that. It's like, okay. But then breaks back immediately and, you know, has like first two games are like 15 or 20 minutes. And I'm like, oh, wow. All right, here we go. And uh, mm-hmm. it really like looked like okay he's gonna get his he's gonna get his legs underneath him and it's gonna get going but uh, after a little while he just looked outgunned and just overmatched overwhelmed and it was one of the first times where it's like man I don't like you know because as a fan it's like oh you know you always believe he can do something crazy and come back and hang around but I was like I don't know if he believes it doesn't didn't really look like it it was kind of. Uh, have watched Andy lose a ton during this comeback, but this was one where I was just like, oh man, just, this is rough. Yeah. Yeah. Straight sets loss. And I'm sure you saw his, his interview afterwards. He, 
uh, was very emotional uh, leaving that match, and he was emotional in the press conference. I think I don't know that that really signals that that was his last Australian Open. I think, like Nadal, he seems to be keeping it all in perspective, knowing that he might reach a point this year, for all we know, where he feels like that's just it, you know, and, and he it can't keep going with it. I, he had some great results. We talked about the Kakanakis match from last year. He's playing these five setters. He's playing some of the, the top players in the tournament, knocked out Berrettini. You know, that wasn't what happened this year. And he says that in his press conference, he, he, he mentions those matches and he mentions that coming in here, high expectations only to fall in straight sets in the first round is, you know, it's, it's not what he wants. Obviously it's not what type of game he wants to be playing at. So I think he's, he seems to be keeping it in perspective that every day is uh, is a gift, right? And maybe that was his last Australian Open, and maybe it's not. Maybe um, you know we'll see, we'll see him on court again one more time for uh, maybe a more proper send off. But uh, you know you combine what Warenka leaving yesterday with Murray leaving, um, and then you have Raonic too, um, who had to uh, retire in his match. So yeah, bummer. That was the last match that I because uh, that was we were getting about to one two in the morning at that point, so I was. I was watching it and I was like, all right, we'll see. And he, he looked great, actually. He, I know he left the court in the first set and that was kind of like, all right, something's going on. He's limping off the court, but came back and, and won the first set and was looking fantastic. It's like, oh my God, this is uh, potentially trouble. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I remember I, I, I fell asleep and woke up and just saw that like, Alec Demon was just saying like, yeah, this isn't the way I want to win, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh man, it was it was an injury like that's uh, yeah that's a tough one because uh, yeah yeah he's just another one of those players of like all right well this do we see him again tennis is such a weird thing it's not like um you know an nba player they're on the final year of their contract and it's kind of like all right this is going to be my last year i'm going to go around and just finish the games that are on the schedule uh because that's my contract and i'm going to play him out and tennis there's not like that at all it's kind of like just up to the player whether they announce it and say this is my farewell tour or they just decide to not schedule any more tournaments and just stop yeah so uh yeah like we'll we'll see where it goes but yeah last night uh there was a few bummers out there last night uh mm-hmm. i know there was uh some positive i saw in your notes you were talking about the uh soccer atmosphere yes that was lit I- I loved it. So I'm, I'm watching with my girlfriend and I'm just trying to, a lot of the times, you know, like we said on the first episode, there end up being uh, matches that just exceed your expectations and maybe you didn't have them penned or circled at any point. And that was one of them. Um, I tuned into that one. So that was uh, Nico Jari, uh, newly signed by Wilson head to toe. Uh, and I first I wanted to just check out what he had on because I love the new Wilson gear. Uh, and he was playing Italian Caboli, who I had never seen before. He was uh, in the next gen finals um, and I, I didn't tune in the next gen finals uh, this year. But uh, that match was like a soccer atmosphere. It ended up going <laughs> five sets and the oscillating between the two fan bases when their player was performing, uh, you know, or winning a big point. My girlfriend was laughing about it and she goes, what do they think they are? Like, this isn't a soccer match. I was like, are you kidding me? This is exactly what they're, you know, treating it like this is amazing. This is, Mm -hmm. you love to see that type of atmosphere. Uh, You know, a Mm -hmm. lot of the, um, 
Latin American countries and European countries, they like really rally around their players. Uh, you know, Delpo, right? You're like those matches where <laughs> yeah. you've just got this crazy crowd and they they have their chants and everything and songs. And um, I, it was so much fun to watch. It was a really, really good match. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that was one that I watched and, and, and really, really ended up enjoying. And I was kind of toggling between that one and a few of the others at the time. So, and yeah, Kaboli yeah. looked good. He ended up winning the match in the fifth set. Um, you know, Jari uh, at the very end, uh, very emphatically threw his racket and smashed it on the ground. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. and, but Kaboli was celebrating with the crowd. He like kind of, he, you know, he kind of like hopped up into the crowd and was hugging all these, you know, guys who were cheering with him and everything. Mm-hmm. And they were chanting Kaboli and it was, it was really, really fun to watch. So I'm all for that atmosphere, soccer atmosphere to an extent the the chair umpire did a couple times had to have to say, Hey, can we respect both players? Cause it was getting pretty, pretty raucous at a couple of moments, but yeah, <laughs> yeah it was a fun there, one. There was, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was this match where uh ball fell out of Jari's pocket. He lost the point. Cause it was like the second time that it happened. So like, Oh, I must've missed that. If your, if your hat falls off or if the ball rolls onto the court, it's usually just play, play a let. Um, mm. uh, but yeah, this was a thing where I think this is, I mean, not only frustrated cause he just lost a five set match, but it was, I think in that final game where he got broken that this happened and it was just like, dang, that's, yeah. that's not something you see every day. Um, but it's the way, it's the way the ball the bounces rules, sometimes, yeah. I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, like, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. Um, also side notes, uh, this was new to me. I didn't see any announcements about this, but when it comes to the crowds and it, it doesn't seem like the players knew this. I, I, I don't understand how this happens, but fans are being allowed in and out of, uh, the arena mm-hmm. pretty much every game instead of every changeover, which, uh, is a new thing. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, good. I mean, I've selfishly been on the receiving end of sitting there waiting for the changeover and missing some of the best moments of the match. And you, you want to have respect for the players. Um, but you know, as fans, we've all paid to be there. And at the end of the day, it's for our entertainment, right? That's why they're there. That's why they've got the seats. So I think it's good. I haven't noticed any like major disruption. I mean, I've been watching a lot of the smaller courts. It's a lot easier to just kind of walk up and then walk away. But when you're talking about the stadium courts, that's where it might be a little bit more of a factor. People shuffling in and out. Uh, I haven't, I haven't noticed it. I don't know that maybe I'm not watching the right matches. I'm not sure. Have you picked up on anything? Um, the the only reason it was brought to my attention because uh, very early in the first set, Stan kept talking to the umpire, tournament official, and I was like, it was like a continuing conversation throughout mm-hmm. each changeover, and I was kind of like, what's going on? And eventually, one of the things that he said is like, why are they being allowed in? You know, why didn't they tell mm-hmm. me? Like, what what is this? And uh, and then I saw like you know just a thing from another player, Jordan Thompson, saying like you know I didn't know anything about this. The AO is the the wokest tournament. What? Yeah. Like, <laughs> anyways, I'm I'm all for it because same if you've gone to a tennis match, especially if you leave between the first and second set, if you don't make it back in time, you're out for three games. Yeah. Um, a personal experience, uh, U.S. Open. Do you remember Coco Goff's opening round against uh, Laura Siegemund? Where uh, yes. basically it was so slow. And then that first game of the second set went to like 10 deuces or something. So I remember I left and like I was just 
on my phone, you know, just trying to pass the time. And I was like, I was out there for what felt like 25 minutes before we were allowed back in. Yeah. And that just, that was awful. Yeah. So, uh, not bad, but yeah, I wouldn't have noticed if the players wouldn't have complained. Yeah, um, we'll see. We'll see how it ends up affecting some of the matches. I think a lot of people made a big deal about the coaching too, and that's another thing that I, I now that it's there, you know, is it really impacting that much? No. Yeah. So um, yeah, we'll have to see how that kind of takes shape. I think it's good for the fan experience, though. Um, just as long as the as long as the the chair umpire and the people working the tournament are, are are mindful about all of that and getting people in their seats, I don't I don't know if it'll be a problem. So, yeah, shout out to the AO for trying something new. They're usually they're usually the leaders with stuff like that. So uh, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, we got a couple other notes here from matches that were pretty um, pretty notable. Um, Tabilo, who had just won his first title over uh, in Auckland, wasn't able to back up his his title there. He ends up losing to the qualifier uh, American Kovacevic, um, and that one ended up going to five sets and good for Kovacevic. That's his uh, first win at a Grand Slam. So wow. uh, shout out to him. Um, didn't get a chance to watch that one, but I did just kind of want to shout that out. Cause it, you know, it, it, T- Tabilo was looking good. The Chileans have looked good and bad day with mm-hmm. him getting knocked out and Jari. So, um, Chapo, man, you know, tough. Yeah, How old he, is he? Is he 23? He's still, he's, I, I think he's 24. 20, 24 sounds right. I was looking it up yesterday. I feel like I had the same question. I was just like, how many years has he been on the tour? And, and what, you know, but yeah, he was out for the second half of last year after Wimbledon with the knee uh, procedure uh, ends up going out in straight sets to an 18 year old from Czech um, Mensik, who um, I haven't watched or I haven't heard much about, uh, right. but you know, bummer for Chapo um, really, really tough stretch in his career. Not surprised, I guess, given how how much time he's taken away from the court. Um, so, you know, a little a little bit of a bummer to see him go out there in straight sets. But um, hope yeah. to see him back out there and, and healthy. Twenty four years tournaments. old. Twenty four. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because I mean, a lot. Some of the you know DMs I get is like, oh, he's cooked, he's done. But it's like he no. could easily play for like ten more years. Like, what do yeah, you say? Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a tough one. Yeah, because he's someone that you know. You, we saw flashes of all the potential in the world. And it's, it's, she's just a player that's interesting to kind of keep track of. Oh, what's he doing? Um, but yeah, tough, uh, tough start. Yeah, I mean, different different path for him. He's been kind of in the same boat as uh, Felix Auger, Iliasim, and Sitsapas and uh, Zverev, and um, kind of that that initial next gen that was you know really young, eighteen, nineteen years old, and finding themselves all the way up in the top ten in the world. Um, but yeah, a really tough stretch, you know, bummed to see him go out so early, but, um, you know, hopefully he'll be able to get back out there and start to look like his former self again. Um, any other yeah. matches from the last couple nights that you wanted to point out? Um, big one, Naomi Osaka, Caro Garcia. Yeah. Uh, well, that ended up being a, a good match. Like we, like we, uh, thought it might. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, uh, I mean, full disclosure fell asleep. I watched a little bit of it, you know, on replay today. And uh, yeah, it's it's what we expected. You know, a lot of service holds, a lot of short, you know, serve plus one points. And mm-hmm. uh, Caro pulled through, basically. Yeah. It was like one break of serve, I think, right? Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, well, we knew it was a tough draw for Naomi. But uh, I don't think it's, uh, you could say it's a disappointing outing. She did, I did see a quote where she said, uh, 
basically like, you know, maybe it's my delusional way of thinking that I could come back and win this tournament, but also my delusional way of thinking is what led me to win multiple grand slams. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like, yeah, I, I think you, you need that mentality. And it's, uh, I think with her, it's about kind of taking, you know, the highs and lows together. Cause that's, uh, kind of where things seem to kind of get to her before she took her maternity leave. Um, but yeah, tough draw. We'll see, uh, how she does in smaller events in the 500s, 1000s, uh, you know, to build up the ranking points and, uh, you know, not have such a tough draw by maybe the French open or Wimbledon. Yeah. Yeah. And, and watching these matches in the Australian Open, uh, that one came on at 2 a.m. for us, I believe, um, which we both were kind of still up. I was editing the first episode. <laughs> we had wrapped up really late on the first one and I was on my computer and I saw you were still posting stuff and, you know, I was sending mm-hmm. you a few things. And um, but yeah, I mean, I, I the Australian Open could be tough with the matches happening that late. You know, Djokovic and Prismich was another notable match that I unfortunately just couldn't I couldn't couldn't do it. Right. I mean, as much as I want to be here for for our audience and I want to watch every tennis match <laughs> that's ever broadcast live, um, I do have to go to bed sometimes. And Prismich looks like he put up a, a pretty good fight. He took that second set and a tie break. I know I listened to uh, the tennis podcast who I really like because they do these great summaries of each day and um they were talking about just how impressive he was that there's been you know you see every once in a while in the grand slams um these these lower ranked players or unheard of players that put up a good run against you know Djokovic or Nadal or some of the top players and they'll they'll put together that dream set where they're just running on adrenaline and you think oh wow look at look at this guy go or you know uh it seems like he sustained it, uh, the pressure throughout the match from everything that I'd been hearing and some of the highlights that I was seeing. He looked really impressive, and it took four hours for that match to go, and it pushed back the, the women's match the, uh, as as Arenka, and I know there were some talks about that. Should the women's matches be before a five-setter for the men's because it's not going to take up as much time. The, the most they could possibly go is three sets. Um, Coco Goff, I think spoke really eloquently about that. Um, she says that there's pros and cons to, to both of those things that uh, also from a, a media standpoint, wanting to put that marquee match on at the 7 PM time slot, the value to that. Um, and I thought she spoke really, really well about that, but yeah, I, I couldn't catch any of the Prismich, uh, Djokovic match. Um, Djokovic pulls through in four sets. Took him four hours to do it, and from everything that I've been reading, it sounds like Prismich really made him earn it, and people were impressed with him. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I, you can think back to Grand Slam debut Holger Runa, like looked great for a set, right? So mm-hmm. it, I don't know if Prismich is going to be on the same trajectory, but he's definitely going to be a very interesting player to kind of keep track of as this year kind of unfolds um uh, about like the scheduling thing it's kind of like it's almost like a no-win situation because then if you because it it makes sense to put a five-set match last because this could happen it could go four hours and then you have you know a lot of people going home before the women's match but then if you know, there's always the argument of like, oh, why, why are the men always going on last? And why aren't the, why isn't the WTA match like the headliner of the day? So it's, I, sometimes I feel bad for the tournament organizers because it's like, no matter what you do, there's always going to be something basically, but uh, did not expect uh, Novak to, you know, have to be on court for four hours. You kind of just expect him to just roll through, you know, these players that you kind of, you know, if you're not following too closely that you've never heard of, Um, we'll see if that, takes a toll i mean i feel like a lot of players drop sets in the first round you know stefanos dropped one yesterday Mm -hmm. um 
don't know what his deal is with the serve going pinpoint to platform and then back to platform. And like there was posts around that it's like, oh, it has to do with the back. But then, I mean, he he was moving fine. He probably the shot of the tournament yesterday, stepping around, you know, going yeah. over the net. Like he looked great. Yeah. Um, insane, but... insane point, by the way. Uh, and I was messaging uh, a friend on my Instagram account about that. I don't even think I would have had the 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 thought to do that in a match. If I was playing and and for anybody that didn't see it, um he had a uh he had a point there where the ball was, you know, super rare backspin bouncing on Stefanos's side of the court and backspinning onto his opponent's side of the court and Stefanos running full speed to get to the net reaches over the net puts it away at an angle towards the chair umpire at basically a 90 degree angle along the net manages to manages to avoid to not touch the net both with his racket and with his feet crazy it was kind of the turning point i think even he said that yeah. um that put him up i believe 2-2-0 with the break in the second set um and that you know kind of fueled the fire for him but it was wild yeah i'm, I'm glad you brought that yeah. up i didn't even think to put that on here but um <laughs> when we're yeah. going through uh, shots of the year uh, we already have one potential candidate and we're only two weeks into the year so <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because I, I saw the things about, you know, oh, you know, maybe Stefano's back, but I was like, dude, he did that spin move to not touch the net. Like, he looks good. Like, I don't I don't know what the, the tinkering with the serve is. Um, I guess we'll see. But, uh, yeah, good. So far, great first round. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else that, you know, you want to touch on. I'm uh, I'm looking at the matches being played currently. Nothing really too crazy happening. Um, let me see. Yeah. Anything else in the No, notes? I don't have anything else. I mean, we're, we'll we'll have time to kind of tie the knot on the first round and and talk right. about some of the second round matches. Um we talked about Azarenka a little bit and I know that she pulled through in her first round match um and, and began her title defense 6061 I believe or 6160. So she looks really really good and um you know speaking of Azarenka, I know you and I have started to tap into Breakpoint season two Azarenka or Sabalenka Sabalenka I said Azarenka <laughs> all good no because I was I like that, I'm pretty sure did I say you Azarenka did. before too when we were talking or, about earlier it? you did yeah okay and yeah. I was well, like thank you let it go I got you yeah <laughs> no you're good uh but I'm pretty sure Sa- uh, Azarenka won as well I'm going through it but yes Sabalenka uh gets through um probably at least of season two I don't know. Full disclosure, I haven't finished it yet. To be honest, Same. I'm I'm more interested in watching, you know, what's going on because I've like a lot of kind of how I feel about the Netflix is it's uh, there's not a lot that's going to be there that I I feel like I follow the tour pretty closely. There's not going to be a lot in there that I don't kind of know about in a way. There are some things that I think are featured quite well, but uh, it was cool to see Sabalenka, you know, kind of in a in a different light. I uh, hear something uh, just kind of. For a casual viewer, I was at my tennis club walking out after a lesson, and uh, I ran into a guy that used to come to my my clinics. He had a shoulder issue, had to stop playing, but he was there to pick up his daughter. But anyways, he he mentioned to me, he was like, you know, I used to kind of have a negative opinion of Sabalenka. She's kind of out there. She's, you know, seemingly very aggressive and, you know, throwing tantrums on the court. But after watching you know, seeing how she interacts with her team mm. and just kind of seeing how she is. I, I, I'm i a big fan now. 
And uh, something like that, I think, is a credit to the show where it's like, you know what? Yeah, I guess I guess if somebody is just able to see maybe an Instagram clip or maybe they get to watch one match or two matches out of the year, whatever's featured on ESPN, and they see Sabalenka breaking a racket or something like that, they might have a negative opinion. But uh, yeah, she she's cool. I mean, knew she was cool. I, I met her in San Diego and very chill, very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, uh, she's a great personality to be featured. I think that was a good choice for the show. Yeah, I it's kind of interesting to hear um the person that you were speaking with at the club just kind of uh I mean I I always kind of gravitate towards the players that really let you in a little bit and you get to see more of their personality. I think that's what makes tennis so unique is you do get to see somebody's personality playing out in the court, how they handle adversity or um how do they handle themselves uh mm-hmm. during different situations in the match. I do feel like you're you're you know, some players really wear it on their sleeve, but you get to, you get, you get to know the player a little bit and that gives you a rooting interest sometimes in who you want to see, um, come out on top in a match. And, uh, Sabalenka, I, I agree. So I haven't finished season two of Breakpoint. I did watch the first season. Um, I watched the first episode obviously with Sabalenka, um, with Australian Open going on, I you know I, I did kind of want to watch it in tandem because uh, I wanted you know I'm, I'm remembering a lot of what happened last year and we're talking about it too and I wanted to see how that was being represented and I know I'm not look I'm not I'm not the uh, maybe the target audience for Breakpoint necessarily like you said you and I are watching yeah. the tour all the time but I did she came off really genuine and um, I think like her in Rabakana. Uh, Ans, Jabur, the way that they all interact and seem to be really cool with one another, that on the court they're competitors and they're fiery, but off the court and in practices. And I know, you know, we go to the, a lot of the practice sessions at Indian Wells and you, you get to see them goofing off with each other. And I see it more so in the women's game than in the men's game. And Sabalenka is one of those just really, uh, fun bubbly personality and she seems to be friends with everybody on tour and yeah i've I've come around on her a lot and i it's interesting hearing people uh see that and break point and and use that as a reason to be cheering cheering for her and you know and in that way there is uh, some value to break point um if if you really latch onto a particular player's story and their personality and you know you want to you want to get behind it or maybe you even want to go see a tennis match maybe you're somebody who hasn't gone to a tennis match before but you want to go and see that in person i think that's great i think that that that's where breakpoint can really bring value where breakpoint doesn't bring value <laughs> some of the uh issues <laughs> that maybe maybe uh you've heard about um I know we talked about it a little bit a few days ago. Uh, have you kind of heard a little bit about some of the editing issues with that first episode and her final run? Man, yeah. I think, uh, you know, we've all seen... Uh, shout out to that guy who put that edit together and made that real of like, hey, you know, this is, you know, whatever he said, this is infuriating me because, um, yeah, well, I saw that real before I saw the episode. And then mm-hmm. once I saw the episode, I, I couldn't unsee it. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like... You know, I mean, there was even stuff in in season one where it's just like, why did they edit the match in that way where it just doesn't make any sense? And like having watched a lot of the matches live, it's like that wasn't really the story of how that match went. Right. Because every match and I mean, I understand every match has its narrative and, you know, obviously the show has its own narrative. But uh, yeah, some of it was pretty egregious, like, you know, not even starting the point on the do side cut to the same point now they're on the ad side and it's a forehand or is it a backhand and um so awful 
Yeah, I want to lay it out for listeners who haven't who haven't watched it yet, because to me, it doesn't ruin the episode. I, I still think, you know, people should go back and watch it and judge it for themselves. I think the first half of that episode is a bit of a train wreck. The montage of leading into uh, talking about the curse, the Netflix curse, all the players oh. that were, you know, getting eliminated in the first round or dealing with injuries. You had Berrettini, you had Curios, all these storylines. Um I thought that was really messy. It seemed all over the place. It was hard to watch. It literally felt like a YouTube montage video. It didn't really carry a storyline at all. But then the second half of that episode was really good. It's about Sabalenka. And part of Sabalenka's story and her run in Australian Open was overcoming those demons that she has. And I and I love how personal she got. She was uh, talking about some of her mental issues and um, getting to a plateau at semifinals of matches and just not, you know, not being able to get over the hump and having those mistakes and the double faults. And that has always been her thing. And that's kind of what she was known for. And everybody was wondering if she was going to be able to get over the hump. And they talk about it in the episode. She's very candid about it. They talk about how she's doing breathing exercises and the pressure that she put on herself to win that title. Um, her father's no longer with her, and her father said that she was going to win a Grand Slam by 25, and here she is 24 years old with a, with an opportunity here. And that was the story, and they were laying it out so well. And then here they get this match against Rabakina where they have this tense moment at the end served on a platter to them, and they didn't seize it. So to lay it out for any listeners who haven't watched, they're lining up for the match point. And, and there's a whole conversation that can be had about how they edit the actual tennis matches, how they show one point from a bizarre angle and <laughs> it's set Sabalenka and then they show another point and then it's set Rabakina. It's obvious that they think that actually showing the tennis is the most boring part. So they just avoid it. And I, I hate that. Um, but they could have really let the moment breathe at the end of that match. They announce match point. They show Sabalenka in slow motion walking up or lining up to serve on the deuce side. And then the cut. And she's following through on her serve, but she's on the ad side, which is where she does fi finalize her match point, right? So then the serve goes over the net and it hits the court. And you go, oh, was that looked that looked out, but okay, you know, and you're you're just watching. And I didn't see any clips about this before. I watched it and I wanted to see if I could pick it up. And I had the match on YouTube on my phone so I can go side by side. But first I just watched it and I noticed the serve. I said, Okay, that's that's wrong. You've got her serving on the do side, and then she's following through on the ad side. The ball travels across the net. It looks like it's out, but you're like, Okay, whatever, I'll keep watching. To Rabakina's backhand, cut to a slow motion of, you know, dramatic slow-mo of Rabakina following through on a backhand instead of on a forehand. And you're like, okay, there's another editing issue. And at this point, I'm like, how could this get any worse? So then I actually go back and I watch. So the, the point plays out. It just shows Rabakina hit a backhand that sails out. Sebalanka falls to the court. You know, crowd's going crazy. I pull it up on YouTube and I watch it. And for those that don't remember last year, um, highly encourage you to go back and watch the end because it was amazing. It was everything that they talked about in that episode 
and I'm sorry to be like going on and on about this. Please cut no. me off if you want to. No, no, no. This but is this great. This is what I was talking about. I get hot about mm-hmm. this because this is Sabalenka's story. She has struggled with her serve. She has struggled with gaining confidence in these tense moments and really getting on herself and falling apart and collapsing. And we've seen that. We've also seen the highs of where she's one of the best players in the entire world. What actually happened is she gets her first match point. How does she handle this? They could have cut to her. She could have been talking about an interview and they could have interviewed her and asked her what was going through your mind at match point. You finally have the opportunity to achieve the the ultimate goal. And she double faults. That's what actually happens. She double faults and they show that serve hit outside of the box, but play out the rest of that point (laughs) in the editing as if it wasn't. So she double faults, which is part of her story, right? She double faults. And what actually happens for the rest of that, uh, the end of that match there is she double faults. She has to compose herself. She wins the next point. She gets a second championship point. Rabakina saves that one, sends it back to Deuce. I believe Rabakina gains a break point after that. And Sabalenka has to pull it back again, get it back on her serve, get back on Deuce. She does. And they're great points. She gets championship point again, her third one. Still not able to put it together, and it took her till her yeah. fourth championship fo- point to finally win that title. And that is that is a testament to how hard it is to what it takes. I mean, you've seen matches that have turned on a dime because somebody's unable to to you know uh, capitalize on that moment. And this was R- Sabalenka's moment where she had overcome yeah. all of those demons, everything that they talked about in that episode. But the editors made the decision that that was not more entertaining and that instead they were going to show a poorly cut wrong serve that went out going to Rabakina's forehand, but it actually shows a clip of her hitting a backhand and that's the end of it. And I just thought, what a missed opportunity, what a poor representation of what it took for Sebalenka to win that match. And that's to me where some of the problems lie in Breakpoint. Um, really rough. Yeah. Sorry, that was a long monologue. Tony. No. That's uh, <laughs> no, because I, I know, you, you know, you were like, all right, I'm, I've got, you know, I've got a lot to say about this. No, that's uh, no, that and that's really good information for people that didn't catch the final and may not understand, you know, kind of the sort of historical significance of the way that played out for Sabalenka, because even I, you know, in my day to day, I deal or right, I don't want to say ideal, I interact with a lot of casual tennis fans, just, uh, you know, the people that come in for maybe a clinic once a week. And normally the extent of their knowledge is, you know, you know, Novak's, Novak's still doing it, huh? Uh, but like Sabalenka, like, that's the thing. It's like, oh, the double faults, the double faults for the past mm-hmm. couple of years. That's something that just even a casual person will know, like, oh, she's really good, but the double faults and kind of the way that played out. And I guess the choices by uh, Netflix to kind of leave quite a bit there on the on the cutting room floor. Um, don't know. Shocking. That's, uh, yeah, shocking. And um, I mean, would a, you know, would a person that, uh, you know, unlike us, like a casual, would they know they wouldn't have caught it? But uh, this is kind of the reason why when I guess people ask like, oh, you like tennis, what do you think of the show? And you, you kind of want to be polite. You don't want to kind of poo-poo it. Like, mm-hmm. but that's a, that's a big one without, and that's the, first episode of season two so it's just like dang like you uh, maybe in season one it's like all right we don't know you know you don't know what you want to do with this whatever but like that's how you start season two that's kind of like that's the reason why it's like you know what i'm in no rush to finish this it'll yeah it'll be on there for the rest of the season um 
disappointing. Yeah. Disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I try to – I ask myself the same question. <laughs> I said, is the, is the average – you know, is their target audience – gonna gonna pick up on that or is that just tennis nuts like like you and i uh does it does yeah. it matter to the entertainment value um i guess it depends on what they were trying to get across if you know they're really just focusing on her story and yeah, they were comfortable with with wrapping up that match with the way that they did it and they feel like yeah. they they told the story the way that they wanted to you know fine that's that's their choice um but when you had a moment that i just felt like was peak entertainment value served on a platter for them that they just didn't take advantage of. I yeah. just think it's interesting. Um, you know, do, do, do they really <laughs> not find that moment exciting? Do they think that leaving that in was unnecessary? Do they, I don't know. It, it's strange because if, if you were invested in that story and I'm, I'm maybe even thinking about the person that you, um, you had your interaction with, you, let's say they edited that in. I, are you watching that like a movie on the edge of your seat? I know as a viewer, I was. So yeah. why why take that out? And um, you know, I'm I'm excited to watch more. There's some featured uh, players in this this season that I'm excited to see. And um, I had a lot of problems with season one, but I, I do like getting that behind the scenes of the player and getting to know their personal story because it does give you a little bit more to to root for when they're out there. So yeah, also um, just sort of the the locker room interactions between coach player and the team, like something that was really interesting to me is uh, I can't remember their names, but you know, arena's coach and then probably a physio or something, just members of the team. One of them said, Oh, I'm so excited. I'm not going to sleep tonight. And uh, you know, head coach was like, don't say that we need to keep everything as it is. We don't, you know, she's very emotional. We don't want to go up or down or anything. We have to keep everything basically locked in. And that's, uh, that's, really great to see because that's that's what elite level coaching looks like you know and that's you know in during the match there's not interactions like that I know coaching is legal but you know and I don't think the way they do it on tv really displays what's going on during the coaching uh Mm -hmm. during the match but stuff like that that Netflix picks up or for example I know you maybe haven't seen it yet but there's an interaction in a following episode where Holger Runa is talking to Patrick Mortaglou during a rain delay and they're just kind of discussing the match and stuff like that I think is, you know, access that, you know, even for play, people like us that, you know, we're tuned into tennis week in, week out, we don't get to see that, those kinds of, those types of interactions. Um, I think that's done very well, but obviously you can't base the whole show off of stuff like that, but there's small mm-hmm. little details in it that I think are are good like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, excited to watch more. Excited to um, to chat more. Maybe at some point later on down the line, we'll we'll have um, a more in depth discussion over the entire season or some of the other episodes. Um, yeah. you know, I was going to joke. You know, maybe Sabalenka will be our, our first guest and let her let us know her thoughts on <laughs> how they edited yeah. her her most triumphant moment in her career. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I love talking Breakpoint with you. Excited to watch more of it. Uh, don't really have anything else here. Uh, I'm not sure. Hadn't really planned on, uh, figured out what, how to wrap this episode up. Uh, anything else going on in round one that you want to bring attention to or any other um, points you want to well, talk about? I, I do have a suggestion if you are, and actually, I, I think maybe I'm one of the, the few people that it's, that's seen this so far, um, so there was a Newport Beach Film Festival. I live in Newport Beach. 
my wife surprised me, you know, it was like right around my birthday. Hey, we're going to go do something. And uh, I watched a tennis documentary, a, uh, a competitor, I guess you could call it. Um, and it was called Australia's Open. And it was just featured at this film festival. And I, I, I'm guessing, I don't know how the industry works, uh, but, you know, they're shopping it around to be picked up by streaming or, you know, other studios because it hasn't gotten a, a wide release yet. But uh, great documentary. I, I think oh. actually... I would have, you know, if if only they had the access that Breakpoint would have had, it would have been like it, it, it's what Breakpoint should have been, honestly, because it, mm. it was just a documentary that featured only the Australian Open. Um, throughout the years, it goes through the history of, you know, the when where was it previously held? Was it Kuyong? I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, anyways, yep. was, yeah. So it goes yep, back in those days and just sort of like the. The major shifts in how basically the, UO, UO, the Australian Open is always kind of like the progressive slam trying new things, like as we spoke earlier. And uh, great documentary. It's called Australia's mm. Open. Uh, saw it earlier this year. And uh, yeah, when when it comes to, I think it's never a bad thing to have a tennis show or a tennis movie or have something out there. Obviously, it's going to you know upset some people the way it's done or whatever. But uh, something that I think was done pretty well uh, recently that that movie and if you have a chance look it up i don't know if it's available on a streaming platform yet or if it's coming soon but uh that was a a, a movie that was a, a tennis documentary that i feel like was done very well wow nice no i haven't heard of it yeah i'll have to yeah. keep an eye out for that or see if i can find some stuff to read about but um look it at was, you uh, getting the, the inside access to all this stuff yeah i i you know what i don't <laughs> know why i didn't make a post about this i guess i should but like it was something where she just surprised me and like she's like uh -huh. oh i was like oh we're, go we're going to the movies and we walk in and I see like the, you know, how there's auditoriums and I see like, what is it? Era's tour, the Taylor Swift thing. And I was like, mm -hmm. you're like, oh, this, no. is, this is what it is. <laughs> and then we just walk into another room and like the movie starts and it's just like Australia's open. I was like, oh, this is a tennis movie. I never heard of this. This is, this is cool. Um, but anyways, yeah. So there's, there's alternative things. We'll see how Breakpoint, maybe they put a, a bow on it and it's great. They wrap it, wrap it up. I'm not sure. I did hear, I saw uh, a post that like they're not currently filming or following anyone uh, at this mm. year's AO. So I don't know if that means it's not going to continue or not. I'm not sure how the numbers were, um, you know, when it comes to their other shows. Did you watch the other series, Drive, Drive to Survive or the golf one? Yeah, I started. I mean, I, I heard um, a lot of people had great things to say about the golf one. I, the name is not coming to me right now. Um, no and I idea. think a lot, a lot of people thought that tennis, the format that they followed for the, for breakpoint should have been the same. Um, I don't know any more than that. I didn't watch any of it. Not a, not a big golf uh, person myself. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I picked up a little bit of drive to survive and there are parallels that I can very obviously point out. I think it's a beautifully shot series. Um, I didn't get as into it as I thought I might considering, you know, how much people raved about it. But it was still – it did leave me – maybe this is just like the sports fan in me and wanting to watch watch things play out in real time the way that a match would, for instance. Same kind of editing on the races. I'm like, I actually want to see more of the race. I want to see – you know, can you, can you put together more of how the story of that race went and show more clips and let, let some of the clips play out a little bit longer? And, and yeah. Breakpoint suffers from the same thing where the editing is chopped up in a way where you're not really watching tennis. You're barely watching – uh, a point play out. So that was yeah. what I kind of left with drive to survive. And it didn't pull me in a way where I felt like I had to keep watching it. So I abandoned that. So, 
yeah, I think I got to season two and then I was like, all right, you know, I'm, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, uh, that's, we'll save that for our drive to survive racing podcast. <laughs> yeah. <sure. laughs> yeah. Um, uh, side, maybe one last thing, any, uh, any outfits that you like that you saw any new kits that, uh, you know, Ooh. kind of made you feel um, away? Wow. Well, we did talk a little bit about the Lacoste gear. I don't mind the cream color with the, the light kind of gray blue um, that Dimitrov is wearing. I don't mind that one. I got to dive into it, to be honest. I, you know, I, I spend so much time talking about apparel on 40 Love. I hate to <laughs> kind of come without really having the receipts on and having checked it all out. So We're no, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything just yet. Um, I've always loved the Wilson gear and it's cool to see that Wilson has signed a few more players. They added uh Peyton Stearns. You still have Kostiuk. Um, they added a uh, Alicia parks who pulled through in her match. Um, Nico mm-hmm. Jari, who's unfortunately out and, uh, Mark Lajal, who I know I was talking to you about. I really like him, that yes. the kid from Estonia. So, um, cool to see that Wilson's sporting more people. Cause I'm a big fan of what they do. Uh, Maybe next episode, let's talk about some of the, the fashion. We don't have anything for, for the next episode other than talking about some matches that are going to be wrapping yep. up. So, um, yeah, I'll uh, maybe put a little bit more thought into that one so I don't sound like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Same. Yeah, I uh, I didn't really see anything. I mean, like I said, I was keyed into Manorino, and it still seems like he's just wearing lemon off the rack. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and like, he, it looked like he was wearing, uh, well, okay. Uh, somebody did message me about Rayonich, just the, cho- just the, the, the choice of the bottoms, like the short shorts, mm-hmm. the no so show tall. sock, so tall, no show sock, shave legs, like the trifecta of just wow. like, <laughs> wow. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. And actually what's, what's your opinion on, uh, socks, crew sock, Okay. What's the sock watch? Yeah. So, all right. I I'll be honest with you. I wear low socks. I I typically do wear low socks, and it's not. They don't look good. So I'll just go out (laughs) and I'll say that now. It doesn't look good. I don't want the tan line that everybody has. You see the you see the tennis players take their shoes off and their socks off, and there's like you could you know it's black and white. I mean you can tell. Yeah. So I don't want that. So I do change it. It depends on if it's midday and it's going to ruin my nice uh, even tan. Um, But uh, yeah, you got to go. You got to go mid or crew uh, crew socks or mid. Um, It just it kind of looks weird. Yeah. Players wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It looks it looks weird. The low socks are weird, so yeah. Yeah, man. That was crazy. Yeah, somebody was in my well, my, my buddy Pat was in the DMs. He's like, dude, he's hitting the trifecta right now. This is crazy. <laughs> he's like, this is egregious. Yeah, yeah. They're really, yeah. really throwing them in everybody's <laughs> face. Um, yeah. But yeah, so another great episode here. Um, thank you to anybody that tuned into the first episode. I feel like, you know, Tony and I are really learning this podcast journey together. And we hope to just kind of keep bringing you good content. Uh, I'm not sure of how often it's going to be, at least during the slams. There's just so much to talk about, which is why we're hopping on so frequently right now. Um, but thanks to everybody that that tuned in and listened. Uh, looking forward to more episodes. I think we're getting better at this. I, I think it's going pretty good so far. I don't have my space heater in my office on right now. Last time, I think I was beat red by the time of the episode. Uh, the end of the episode, I was sweating so much. You have a new microphone. Right. All right. Shout cool. out to Road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Hopefully, let us know how it sounds. Uh, sorry about my my breathing in the first episode. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> this is better. Um. Yeah. And uh, if anybody wants to get engaged with us, uh, you know, you know our Instagram accounts. Mine's Forty Love Tennis. Tony's is Balanced Tennis. 
And uh, we also have an inbox set up. So if there's something that you guys want to hear on the podcast or have us cover, you can reach out to us at tennis today podcast at gmail.com. Um, you can also just message us on, on Instagram, which is how most of you engage with us right now. So yeah, that's a wrap, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Yeah. And actually, uh, shout out. We have a, like a podcast page on Instagram too. We'll start posting some clips on there and, uh, get things going. Awesome. Thanks everybody. Thanks, Tony. All right. See ya. Thank you. See ya. This is what these two do, just put smiles on people's faces.